We are glad to be together today to study and to pray, to commune with each other, and most importantly with our Lord, and to open God's Word to see whether there are things that can help us in this new week, in this new month, and now in this new 2023. We're glad that you have chosen to begin the new year in no better fashion and no better way than to be together with saints and to serve the Lord. And it is serving the Lord that we want to do on a daily basis for the next 364 days after today in 2023 as we think about choosing for ourselves whom we will serve, and we want to serve our God. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, where we're going to camp out and spend most of our time together today. And I want to, again, uh, as was already uh, stated at the outset of our services by a good brother, that we are thankful for everyone that is present, especially for those of you that are from out of town that are visiting with us. Maybe you're visiting family or visiting uh, friends in the area. We're grateful for you. And certainly there's no better way for us to start the new year by a reminder of what it means to serve our Lord. Joshua chapter 24, which is the text that we're reading from this morning, is a very familiar text to most students of the Bible and to most of those of you who are here or listening. And perhaps you have somewhere on a wall or on your refrigerator or stenciled in on a frame somewhere in your house or near your entryway or near one of your doors, the statement that is made there in verse 15 where it says, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. And that certainly is a popular concept that we and our household, our family, we are going to serve God and serve the Lord. But what I want us to do this morning is to explore the, the greater context of Joshua chapter 24. We won't read all 30-some verses of the chapter, but I want us to think about the idea of serving the Lord, making that our choice and our ambition for 2023 and beyond and to make sure that we understand what that entails and what that means. I want to just make four very simple observations together this morning. And the first of those is that we need to appreciate that serving God makes sense. There are lots of things in the world that do not make sense. There are lots of things that are senseless. There are lots of things that are confusing and that you may say, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Well, Joshua here, and by a broader way, the Holy Spirit is telling us that serving God makes an awful lot of sense in our world. Most of the chapter, it seems to me, does go unnoticed because of the more popular verse 15, this climactic verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with memorizing that verse, and please do not get me wrong, nothing wrong with having that verse somewhere posted in your house or in your office or in your car. But there's more to be said, and there is much to be gained from the reading of what's before and what is is after this verse. Note, if you would, 
as we go back to the beginning of the chapter, what seems to me are three major reasons that Joshua says we should choose to serve God. He says, it makes sense to serve our God in 2023 as much as it was some four to 5,000 years ago when Joshua wrote the, or when Joshua made these statements and these things were recorded. Let me suggest you three reasons why serving God makes sense in 2023. Number one, it makes sense because God chose us in spite of our imperfections. We are not perfect people. And we often say that. We say, well, nobody's perfect. And that's true. But we are an imperfect, blemished group of men and women. Go back to chapter 24 where it says that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Now notice what he says in the next three verses. Here's what the Lord God of Israel says. Your fathers, including Terah, The father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. We don't have to go any further in our Bible study to understand that is a big, fat no-no. You do not serve other gods. Going back all the way to Exodus chapter 20, and even before the Ten Commandments, it is clear that God demands complete reverence and service to him alone. But in verse 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. I led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I say this because not a single one of us looks forward to heaven because of our perfection or because of our obedience to God. Now this goes back to, in many ways, part two of what I said last Sunday when we talked about the gift of God's grace. And the point being is that we are saved by God's grace in addition to our obedience to our great God himself. But God says, You are an imperfect group of people here at Northfield or wherever you're from. He says to us individually, Leland, you are imperfect and you are with sin and you have so many blemishes and so many errors, but I'm willing to work with you if you're willing to work with me. That makes sense that we serve a God that does that. Secondly, because God has repeatedly delivered us from countless difficulties and all kinds of trials and all kinds of troubles. Drop down to verse 5 where it says, I also sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them after what I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you, verse 8, into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Balak, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. This is, in many ways, a really good summary. It's, it's kind of like the cliff notes of the previous three to four books of the Old Testament. 
But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over to the Jordan, came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hebites, and Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. I didn't go through and underline in my Bible, but you certainly could do so all the different eyes, where it's referring to God saying, this is what I have done for you. Notice what is happening here when we do count certain phrases is that the phrase brought you out or delivered you, the phrase is used conveniently seven times in the text. I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's just by happenstance. We can ask God when we get there about this particular passage. But I think it is interesting to me that what is happening here is that God is providing the evidence I have been with you through every trial along the way, and I've gotten you through them all. Now, here's a case in point for 2023 that's kind of beside the point that I'm making right now, and that is sometimes we get ourselves into predicaments or we find ourselves in difficulties and we wonder, are we going to make it out of this challenge when God has repeatedly shown us that every challenge, every sadness, every difficulty. He's gotten us out of them in the past. He will take care of us in the future. It doesn't mean that we won't have difficulties. doesn't mean that we won't have challenges to face, but it is certainly the case that God provides for us. Let me share with you just a New Testament passage that came to mind in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 was a passage that I came across when thinking about this particular concept here. And Paul wrote to Timothy, the young man, and he says, These persecutions, these afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, and you can go back and read in the book of Acts about all those different things that happened. He says, The persecutions I endured, out of them all the Lord delivered me. In 2023, God says, I'll deliver you. That doesn't mean that it's going to always be easy. But God will be there as long as we are near to God. Draw near to God, James says, and he will draw near to you. And thirdly, serving God makes sense because God is the one who did all the work. You know, when, when, when something great happens in your life, it's easy to say, look at the good that I have done. Look at the accomplishments I have made. Look at the efforts that I have put forth. But God is the one who deserves the credit. Go back to Joshua Joshua chapter 24, and now pick up here in verse 13, where it says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. I gave you cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. And you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. God highlights his three times, and the people acknowledged on this occasion that God did indeed make it happen. Notice what the people say in response to everything that had presented to them in verse 16. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve these other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. They said, yes, we, we get the point. You are the one that has saved us and has provided for us. It is uh, for us to serve our Lord. It makes sense to serve God. And to a world 
that doesn't either believe in God or doesn't believe in the importance of serving and worshiping our God, this may not make sense to them. That's okay. We do what's right because it makes sense to us and because it makes sense to our God. Number two, I want us to reflect on the idea of choice because that, it seems to me, is the key word. It is right to observe that we get to choose whether or not we will serve our God. You know, another way of putting that is simply acknowledging there's no such thing as a forced baptism. Nobody says, well, I was forced to be baptized a few years ago. no. Uh, even if a person was physically forced underwater, that's not a forced baptism. It's just a forced getting wet. We understand there's a difference between someone who willfully says, I want to do what is right. I want to serve my God versus someone who is pushed to do so. Now, Joshua seems to acknowledge this going back to verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, you might want to underline in your Bible the word choose. He says, choose for yourselves. You get to choose. I'm not going to force you. Moses didn't force you. The Lord himself did not force you. You choose what you want to do. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, going back to verses 2 and 3, for example, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, going back to verses 5 through 6, But as for me and for my house, Joshua says, we've made a decision. I've made a decision. We are going to serve the Lord God himself. And then in verse 16, the people said, far be it from us that we should serve some other type of God. Because there are other gods to serve besides our God, Jehovah the Lord. Joshua acknowledged this in verses 15 and 16. It seems to me that the key phrases here is, if it seems evil, choose for yourselves. And then in verse 16, which we rarely read because we almost always read verse 15 and focus in on that, but verse 16 suggests that the people agreed, yes, it is our choice. We do understand it is a choice. And so there is no one that is present here today who can say, well, I'm being forced to do what is right or being forced to do what is wrong because that's a choice that we each get to make. And of course, the best thing to do, spoiler alert at the end of the sermon, is become a Christian and start 2023 in the best way possible. That's the best choice that you can make going forward. It is, it seems to me, also vitally important and essential to observe that Joshua gave the people a choice as to which gods they would serve. Choice one is to serve the old gods of their forefathers. And again, that goes back to passages like Joshua 24, verse 2, which we read just a moment or so ago, or go all the way back sometime this week and read Genesis 31, and you'll see a reference to all kinds of gods that are options for us to serve. More on that in the closing application that we will make. That's choice number one. But choice number two and the, the optimum choice, uh, or, or the, 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 another choice, because we'll get to choice three in just a moment, is the service to gods of their neighbors, which if you go back to Exodus chapter 23, God had specifically and fundamentally warned about the Canaanite gods, saying don't intermarry, don't be in their neighborhoods, don't uh, engage in their worship, don't have anything to do with that kind of 
way of thinking. And choice number three is simple. You serve the Lord. That's the choice that we get to make. But choice is a key word. I remember a number of years ago when I was in middle school, a long, long time ago, when uh, a motivational speaker came and he talked about choices. And the whole point of his presentation was about making good choices when it comes to drugs and alcohol and things like that. And it was a good presentation. But I remember how many times he talked about the idea of choice. And it really drove in this idea that God was stating so many years earlier in that we get to make a choice as to how we live, what we eat, what we choose to do with our spare time, what we choose to do with our godly Uh, given talents. And the fact of the matter is, is these are choices that come from our Lord. Number three, we are to put away the foreign gods because Joshua here reminds the people that God is very intolerant when it comes to this. In a world with tolerance as the key word, and that's not the point of our subject uh, today, but God is very intolerant when it comes to the ways that are foreign to himself or to his doings. The command is simple in verse 14. Put away the gods. The warning goes all the way back, it seems to me, to passages in the book of Exodus and certainly in the second or subsequent rendering in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at two verses here just very quickly uh, by way of reference in Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 16, and then we're going to drop down to verse 21 just to get a flavor for the things that the, the people in Joshua's time would have been familiar with. He says, they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger, talking about our Lord. Drop down about five verses. They have provoked me to jealousy, verse 21, by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation, I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. And so you see where these things that Joshua is talking about here in verses 13, 14, and 15 should not be a surprise that God is intolerant when it comes to these foreign gods. Joshua also noted, it seems to me, two positive aspects of godly service in this particular text. And those two things here are sincerity and and truthfulness. It seems to me that Jesus talked about that as well, famously in John chapter 4 and verse 24, that they that worship God must do so, if I can paraphrase broadly, with sincerity and truthfulness. And Joshua's timeless point is certainly this, one can't serve God while also serving God's. We trick ourselves into thinking that we can serve the gods of our flesh or the gods of our employment or the gods of money or the gods of you fill in the blank and whatever takes your attention away from God. And at the same time, I can be pleasing to God. Let us in 2023 not trick ourselves into believing that anymore. In fact, Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter 6, talked about this when he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You must choose which master you are going to serve, for a man cannot serve two masters. Someone would say, well, that's really hard to do. That's challenging to do. That's difficult to do. And my response would be, that's hard. That's challenging. That's difficult. 
but yet it is the responsibility of us as Christians. Which brings us to this fourth and final observation, and that is the idea that we are making a commitment in 2023. And it may be that 2022 wasn't your best spiritual year, and that's okay to acknowledge that. What is not okay is to acknowledge that and then say, but I'm not going to worry about trying to do any better in 2023. What we want to do in 2023 is to make a timeless commitment to serving our God better than we have ever done before. And it doesn't have to be just because it's January the 1st. Any day is an opportunity for us to renew ourselves in service to God. But in an age where, in a time where people are talking about resolutions and, and making those changes, it certainly seems profitable for us to think about the commitment that we make going forward. Seems to me that Joshua was quite concerned making sure the people knew what they were agreeing to when they said they would do like Joshua. Joshua says, as for me, for my house, for my family, for the people that are in my circle, we are going to serve the Lord. Now you choose what you want to do. I want you to do so, but I'm not going to force you to do so. You get to make that choice yourself. It seems to me that he says here, you cannot serve the Lord. What does that mean in verse 19? Drop down to verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Incidentally, this is a verse that if you don't understand the context in which it is written, will really confuse you and really bum you out. God's not going to forgive me and I can't serve God, but yet the whole Bible is a message of serving God because he wants to forgive me? Well, you've got to understand exactly what's going on here. I'm not a big fan of the GNT, the Good News Translation, but I came across this and I thought that was actually kind of an interesting way of putting it. But you may not be able to serve the Lord. So it seems to me what Joshua was saying is saying, we're going to serve the Lord, me and my household. You choose for yourself what you're going to do. Their response is, amen, we will serve the Lord too. Who, who are we to not serve our Lord? And then he comes along and he says, but you may even with that um, desire to do what is right, you still may not be able to do it because you're going to get distracted by the shiny things that are out there in a world. And it really goes back, it seems to me, with what our brother Kerry took us through just a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, the things that I know are right to do and that I say I'm going to do are the very things that I end up not doing and vice versa in Romans chapter 7 in the last third of that text. And so it seems to me, without a firm commitment to God, that is absolutely true. Without a firm commitment to God, you will not be able to serve the Lord. Now, please hear the whole sermon and not just that 10 seconds. Because the preacher is not saying, you can't serve God. Just give up. But he is saying, because of what the Bible is saying, because of what the Holy Spirit is saying, that it's not always easy to serve our God. Because we've got to make sacrifices and make tough choices and make difficult decisions. And that's okay. We are willing to make those tough choices and difficult decisions in our commitment to our Lord. Because the fact is, is God promises great reward to those who serve him. He says, if you serve me, 
I'm going to give you a home to the people at this place in this time. I'm going to give you a physical home of safety, but to us, more importantly, a spiritual home where we can dwell with our God forever. I was uh, back home, uh, I, guess, I guess it's okay to say home when you talk about your home, home, home. Uh, whenever I say home in certain contexts, I talk about Indiana. Home is heaven, of course. But I was back in Indiana a couple of days ago, and I was talking with an 83-year-old uncle of mine. And as we got ready to say goodbye to each other, not that 83 is old to those of you that are in your 80s, but it's a little bit older than me. But I said to him, well, I'll see you again. He says, yes, if not on this side, in the other side. And I said, and that will be great. And he, with almost tears in his eyes, said, it will be great. Because it's going to be great in heaven. That's the reward that God promises for us. However, there's an asterisk. There are consequences to turning back and saying, well, I quit. I give up, I throw in the towel, whatever the case may be. Drop down to verse 20. If you forsake the Lord, after having already committed yourself, we are gonna do like you, Joshua. We're gonna follow your example. He says, that's great, wonderful. I applaud you and I'm gonna give you a a, a thumbs up. However, if you forsake the Lord, if you go back and you serve the foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm. He will consume you after he has done you good. There are consequences to turning back. And while making a commitment to God is the most important decision ever, incidentally, that's more important than choosing a spouse, choosing a career, choosing a college, uh, choosing whether or not to have one child, two children, three children, whatever the case may be. Those are important and big ticket decisions. There is nothing more important than serving God. That's the most important thing. We need to do so with those eyes that are, as we sometimes say, are truly wide open. Because serving God is a commitment. Let me suggest you three quick things that we've got to do in 2023 and in the years that are ahead of us, Lord willing. One is we always are men and women who count the cost. We have to understand what we're getting ourselves into. Jesus himself said in Luke, 20, Luke 14, he says, no one goes out and prepares for war without preparing for war or builds a tower or builds a structure without counting the cost. And the same is true spiritually. And that's the point that he's making here when he says, take up your cross and follow me as our brother talked about just a few moments ago in the Lord's Supper talk. Secondly, the idea is don't look back. And that's certainly a sermon or two in and of itself. But the whole point of Luke chapter 9 is the idea that when you say, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do, don't look back and say, well, I might have done better if I would have lived my life for my own gain. Jesus says nonsense. And then going back to the passage that our good brother Michael read for us in 2 Peter chapter 2, don't get dirty again. Now, that's, a, that's an easy way of paraphrasing those three verses. But that, to me, 2 Peter chapter 2 is, is one of the scariest passages in the Bible, at least for me. That the idea that if you are a Christian, because if I'm understanding 2 Peter 2 correctly, what I'm getting is that you're a Christian. That's great. But you say, I quit. I renege. I, I, I don't want to do it anymore. Peter, by way of the Holy Spirit, is saying, things are really bad for you. 
That is, you are, you are leading yourself down a road because you've tasted the Lord's goodness, but now you've gone back to the word he said. And you can think about that and the applications of that. Think about what that teaches to your friends and your coworkers and to your family members and to those that you are trying to influence. So what about 2023? Serve the Lord in 2023. Let me suggest to you just three quick, very practical things that we can do in 2023. Number one is to resolve to serve God because I will bring to remembrance all the good things he has done. He has indeed safely piloted me and he will pilot me in the future. Number two, I will put away the foreign gods. And this is the point where even I sometimes say, oh, that's going to be easy to do because we don't live in a world where idolatry is present like it was with the Amorites and the Girgashites and all the other ites that are out there. Except we've got our ites and we've got our idols. We've got to make the church, we've got to make God, we've got to make our brethren more important than our recreation. We've got to make the church and Bible study and prayer more important than even our friends. And we've got to make the church and God's word more important than even our family. Jesus would say as much when he says, you cannot serve me unless you hate your own family. Now, of course, he's not saying literally that you have to hate your family. But the point that he's trying to make is he's trying to get our attention to say, I have to come first, and the Father comes first. Now, when we do that, everything falls into place. Still sometimes difficult in life, but it does fall into place. And then thirdly, I will make a full commitment to God and remember that he has promised good. And this, going back to what we talked about in Joshua chapter 24, includes acknowledging that earlier commitments were potentially lacking. Now, that's, that's a very humbling exercise for me and for you. Because chances are in 2022, 21, 2019, 18, and going back however far you can go back and remember, you probably at some point, and I probably, no, strike that, I have, made commitments to God where I was going to read more, pray more, study more, visit more, write more, whatever the case may be. And you know what? I let the Lord down. Chances are you've done the same. And so we make a commitment. And I hope that you, and I think that you would, because I think I'm speaking to a group of people that understand the importance of making this commitment to God, say, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord better today and better this week, better this month, better this year than I have ever done before. And I'm going to really strive to keep that commitment to my God and to my brethren. And that's what we wanted to offer this morning, is to make a commitment to choose for yourself to serve the Lord. Don't think about serving yourself. Don't even think about really serving uh, those in the world or someone else. Think about serving the Lord. As a byproduct, you will serve others. But the Lord comes first. That's the choice that you get to make today. And I hope that you'll make the decision, as we said just a, a few moments ago, to be baptized and to make a commitment going forward today to serve our Lord better than you have ever done before. There are, it seems to me, three 
maybe four categories of people that are present here this morning. There are those who are innocent, those who aren't even listening or don't have the ability to listen because they're children, and they are safe in the arms of Jesus should something happen to them. There are those who are Christians who are faithful, and while we would acknowledge not perfect, we are striving to do what is right, and we are going to continue in that path. There's a third group of individuals, those who are Christians who are in error, who are living incorrectly, and who would acknowledge privately and certainly maybe to God in their prayers, I'm not living correctly, and you need to make whatever correction is necessary, whether that be private or public this morning. And then fourthly, there are those who are not baptized believers. You've never done the things that the Lord has asked you to do. And we would ask for you to, not just because it's a new year, don't just say, well, this is the best way to start the new year. No, this is the best way to start the remaining days of your life in doing what is right because it's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And if that's something that we can help you with or study with you about, we're welcoming you today to come forward. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.